We're going to start with the set aside prayer. God, help me set aside everything I think I know about you, God, the steps, recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others. Especially help me let go of all my old ideas so I can live on your truth. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy on me. Help us to glorify you by carrying your message tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we uh, we're more about alcoholism, which is a chapter that is really essential for me to to know and to keep, be aware of, no matter how long I'm sober. Because the point of this uh, chapter is the end on page 43. It says, once more, the alcoholic has no defense against the first drink, has no effective mental defense at certain times against the first drink. And it doesn't say the the, the alcoholic who's coming in after uh, 20 years of drinking. It's all of us. And we have to remember at a certain time, I may have no effective mental defense against the first drink. It must come from God. So what, what they're saying there, and it's not said at a lot of meetings, but John's heard me say it a lot, that I have no defense against the first drink today on my own. And all I have the choice today, I don't have the power of choice to drink either, but I have the power to choose to seek God, which gives me the power of choice. And I have to remember that. I have to constantly be seeking God, staying in His conscious contact with Him as best I can, and He will, he will tell me alcohol is a bad idea. And in fact, if you're very close to Him, you won't think about alcohol at all. It won't, it won't be part of your life anymore. So we were talking about Jim, and uh, there are three examples here, Jim, the jaywalker, and Fred. The first example about alcoholism is a man called uh, 30 years. They don't give him a name. Uh, this was a guy who decided when he was younger that being a success was more important than drinking, but that once he was successful and he retired, he would drink. So he didn't say that he was done. He had a plan. So he became successful. He got what he thought he needed, and then he drank, and he died within four years. And the point of that is once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And no matter how long you're away from it, you're never going to regain control of your drinking. And then he had the obsession of the mind because uh, his spiritual malady existed the whole time, but he replaced alcohol with success. And there are people who aren't alcoholics who do the same thing in our society, and they're miserable. But they're not dying of alcoholism, so they won't come here and work the steps. The steps will work for everybody. It, it's the spiritual principles that are in the uh, scripture. And the more I've been intensely studying scripture, Stu and I, the more we see them. I heard something today that was great. I hope I can say it right. But we were studying Romans, and the, uh, the expositor was talking about uh, the Holy Spirit, which isn't really important in this. But he said, you hear in society that you need to love yourself. And you need to love yourself more. And he says, that's like going to the pharmacy, to a pharmacy that doesn't have the right medicine for you. And I, I, I said, that's so good. Because that's what AA is about. We're not going to ourselves or to to get the power to change our lives. We need to go to God. 
God has the right it's the right pharmacy and he has gives us the Holy Spirit which is the right medicine and so it made a point I thought anybody think that's neat we, we don't want to we need to go to the right pharmacy and it can't be me I don't have the medicine to treat my illness and so we have to give up on ourselves and so now I'm going to say we need to change pharmacists we need to go from CVS to Walgreens and and so that's really it makes a lot of sense Does it makes sense to anybody Does it makes sense so I said wow he's been the meeting and then the next uh, uh, example is Jim and we talked about Jim last week and and remember this is when they when we read it how it works it says that we have the description of the alcoholic remember and that's what they're describing here they're describing the alcoholic and the queer mental twist that we have that tells us that it's okay to take the first drink because it's the first drink that kills us right and so the treatment of uh, of what we have is to not drink but we don't have a power we don't have the power to not drink so Jim is an example of that he he went to the asylum I'll briefly review it uh, he went to the asylum he knew he was an alcoholic they talked to him they told him about alcoholism and he he realized he was a real alcoholic in serious condition and he would face another trip to the asylum moreover he'd lose his family he'd lose everything he knew that and so then he got drunk again so he's telling us his story and his, his story is that he came to work on Tuesday morning and we talked about where was he on Monday then he was irritated with the boss because he used to own the place and now he's working for this dumbass and so they had a fight nothing serious he said but he was irritated so he decides he's a car salesman it's car company he's going to go in the country to sell a car where he knows there's a bar where he can get lunch does it sound sound a little ludicrous doesn't it now to him it makes perfect sense and then he goes and he's gonna have a sandwich and he's gonna have milk with the sandwich and he's been there before and he he'd stayed sober and they had no thought of drinking which I don't think is true but he he's telling himself this you see it's his story it doesn't mean that it's the truth because the story in our heads that we have when we do our four step we see our story is in our truth that we we but he ordered another sandwich decided on another glass of milk and then the squiggly writing can I read it again is that okay suddenly suddenly the thought you see how it can be and so we have to always be on watch with God now me watching won't do any good because I'm the one that's gonna tell myself it's okay so he's telling himself suddenly it's okay to have a drink he knew he was gonna lose his wife his family job everything but suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach see they're giving us an example I don't know if Jim has really existed I don't know but they're giving us an example of how insane our disease is and I hope it makes people who are new realize this is bad this is bad crap we have because we have a disease that we have no power over and we cannot fix it and we can't go to a pharmacy in town and get the cure we have to go to the God that's the pharmacy we need to give us the power so he ordered the whiskey poured in milk and then I love this I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart vaguely it says 
but felt reassured. See how quickly? I, I think it's so brilliantly written. I vaguely said so as not being any smart, but I felt reassured because I was taking the whiskey in the full stomach. The experiment went so well that he ordered another one. That didn't seem to bother, so I tried another, and it said, thus started one more journey to the asylum for Jim. And we're laughing, but it's sad, because Jim, Jim was dying. And we have to see that that could be us. And it is us. And it's me today if I don't have a relationship with God. How long can you go separated from God before you drink? How long can you go not having a sponsor or sponsoring somebody or going to meetings or reading the book or praying and meditating and inventory. How long can you go before you're going to drink? Some people go a long time. And then when you come in, there's step zero, which is you come in, you know you're an alcoholic, your life's a mess, but you haven't done any work. So how long can you go on step zero before you drink again? And I heard that from a speaker. He, he's dead now. But he, he said that, and I wrote a thought on it on the site, and it really made sense to me. Because you get a period of grace when you come in here, I believe, from God. But then what are you going to do? You have to take the action. And so God uh, will give us some grace, but we have to take the action to stay connected to him. And so uh, he, uh, he goes to the asylum, and we never know what happened to Jim. We don't know if he got better or not. They don't say anything. So the threat of commitment, the loss of family position, to say nothing of the intense mental and physical suffering which drinking always caused him. See, it, that wasn't enough. You see, and why? Because right before you drink, your mind tells you it's okay. That's what's wrong with us, that we know something's bad. Now, I burned myself yesterday because I'm an idiot. My wife was at home, and you know, I, I was going to boil water. So I put it on the uh, thing, and I turned the thing on. And then I came back, and it wasn't boiling. And then I noticed that I had put it on the wrong thing. And then there was a glass uh, top to one of the things on there. So immediately I reached for it, and I burned myself. Now, I didn't go back and pick it up again. You get it? And it reminded me of how insane it is for us to take the first drink. And um, because uh, it says we're, we're as crazy as the people who put their hand on the hot stove. But on page 84, if you're interested, it says that we are in a position of neutrality now. We're safe and protected. We're not going to put our hand on the stove anymore. So you, if you're on page 36 with Jim, you want to do all the work to get to page 85. And those are called the 10-step promises. And they're, they're, I've had podcasts on the site on those. And we'll get to those eventually. Uh, we're going slowly through the book. I hope I'm still alive by the time we get to the 10th step. If not, you know, make sure you say something nice at the funeral. Um, nobody's laughing at my jokes tonight. I guess they're not funny. He had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic. You see, self-knowledge won't work. And this is Squiggly writing in, yet all reasons for drinking were easily pushed aside. You see how it is? Because right before I drank, I couldn't see anything wrong with it. I could only see what it was going to do for me, not to me. 
And if we have any addicts in here that are drug addicts, uh, on your way to get the drugs, you feel good. And we have alcoholics here, we have any alcoholics. When you go in the liquor store, you're already feeling better because the medicine's coming. Did anybody have that experience? Anybody not have it? And so when you, when you have that feeling, your mind can't see the truth, it's damaged. So something happens to the alcoholic's mind and it's damaged and we can't fix it because it's damaged. And Father Bill, uh, Father uh, uh, Bill W., if you can listen to his talk on uh, XA Speakers, he's a, he was a uh, priest, a Vatican priest who eventually ended up in California. He tells a story, it's really the most powerful story I've heard. And so he talks about that the part of the mind in the alcoholic is damaged. This part that can tell us to say no to the drink is just damaged. That's the way I think about it. And there's no way that we can undamage that. The only thing that can do to keep that from signaling is God. And that made a lot of sense to me. And so it was easily pushed away in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. He had a foolish idea. And I wrote here, my ideas kill me. And remember, we have to let go of our old ideas, absolutely, or the results nil. And one of those is the ideas that I could ever drink again. That's why Bill, Dr. Bob would ask him, are you done? He would ask the new person, are you done? Whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. And that's why people get upset with us, because they we're insane. Anybody in a relationship, when they come in here, the person you're in a relationship is kind of upset with you because you keep doing this thing that you tell them you're never going to do again and you're choosing this drinking over them and then it causes you consequences and you say you're never going to do it again and then two days later you're doing it again it says how can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be anything else and so we have a lack of proportion we can't see the good and the bad and we can't have the ability to think straight. And that's what we have towards alcohol. But we also have it towards our resentments, right? And our fears. Because we believe all of our resentments are true and our fears are true. And resentment's just uh, wrong judgment. Fear's just wrong belief. But you don't know that yet until you do your fourth step. Remember, everything you think you know when you come here and you start is wrong because they're all your old ideas. And so the fourth step is where you look at your old ideas and you see how they're wrong. And you don't want to have those ideas working in your life anymore. It says, you may think this is an extreme case, thus it is not far-fetched, for this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. So all alcoholics have a loss of control when they drink. Everybody agree with that? We have the phenomena craving, we put alcohol on our body and we're in deep doo-doo because we, we want another one, right? And so we all have that, but we also have this lack of the ability to think straight. And our thinking, this, this thinking that easily we can push aside everything, all the consequences of alcohol and the foolish idea that it's okay for us to drink. And then we do it. 
So we have two things, the loss of control and the loss of choice. And they're really hammering home the loss of choice because the only thing that gives us choice is God. I've had people tell me, uh, I don't want to hear about God. I don't. I talk too much about God. I've heard that. People come up to me. I say, well, I'm sorry. Talk too much about God. Or they don't, they don't really want to hear about God. And then I, I said, well, that's fine. How's that working for you? And then I say, well, when you're ready to hear about it, we're here. And, that, and remember on page 44, they're going to say, now we're going to start talking about God. And then the big book shifts from the not drinking book on page 44 to the God book. So this is really a book about a relationship with God. It's not really about alcohol. Alcohol isn't mentioned, I don't believe, after page 45, maybe mentioned one time. Because remember, alcohol is not a problem. It's a symptom. It's a symptom of our spiritual illness. That I'm living self-centered and I don't like the way things are going, and my mind tells me I need a drink, and when my mind triggers that damaged part of my brain, the idea is easily pushed aside that alcohol is a bad idea, and I go and I drink. It says, um, we have sometimes reflected more than Jim did upon the consequences, but here it is, I love this, there was always the curious mental phenomenon, so you have on, on right side, uh, you've got curious mental phenomenon, the parallel with our sound reasoning. So you have sound reasoning over here and this curious mental phenomenon just waiting to take that drink. There inevitably became some insane trivial excuse for taking the first drink and the sound reasoning can't hold in check the mental phenomenon. Do you see how that is? So you, you can have sound reasoning, alcohol is a bad idea, I'm not going to drink today. And then something will come up, a trivial excuse, and the sound reasoning won't work anymore. You don't know when that's going to be. Did anybody say that they were going to quit in the morning and drink that day? Did anybody not? Did anybody have a plan for when they were going to quit? Like, they're going to quit on Monday. Did anybody ever do that? And then Monday comes and you say, well, I can, I'll wait till Friday. And you feel good when you're drinking on Monday because you know you're going to quit on Friday. You see how crazy we are? I, I did that. I always had dates to quit and change them. And I'm lucky I'm alive today. Sound reason, the insane idea won out. Next day we'd ask ourselves in all earnestness and sincerity how it could have happened. In some circuit, and then towards the end, I don't think we thought about it a lot, right? Were anybody continuous drinkers at the end? And so... And then something happened, and God made a move, and we're here today. Anybody's here today, it's because of the grace of God. God did something. And there are a lot of people where God did something, but it, it didn't hold. And they're no worse than we are. We're no better than the alcoholic who's out there still drinking. We just have been given the grace of God, and we've been able to take the action to seek the relationship with him. And why some people won't do it or not, uh, no one knows. No one knows what makes some people turn away from ourselves to God and some will, will never do it. Or they'll do it a little bit and then it, it comes back. We have a lot of one-year coins, but we're out of 30-day coins. You see, what it, it's a bad disease. Um, it says, uh, we're, we, when we drink, we're feeling ourselves justified. 
because we're nervous, angry, worried, depression, jealousy, or the like. We can always justify it. But even this type of beginning, we are obliged to admit that our justification for a spree was insanely insufficient in the light of what always happened. And then we say, it's not going to burn us this time, right? I'm going to touch the stove. It's not going to burn me. We now see that when we began to drink deliberately instead of casually, there was little serious or effective thought. And I saw somebody shaking their head that they didn't plan a day to trip because in the end, um, we, uh, we can't even see the, the truth. We, we don't, we're not even, we're not affected by it at all. Little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation what the terrible consequences may be. Premeditation is a feeling of anxiety or anticipation over a future debt. So now we'll talk about the Jay Walker and then we'll open it up. Our behavior is as absurd and incomprehensible. And I don't know how they got the Jay Walker example. I tried to find out from AA history. I'll, look, I'll try to look it up. Our behavior is absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first drink. They're talking about the queer mental twist as that of an individual with a passion, say, for jaywalking. He gets a thrill out of skipping in front of fast-moving vehicles. We got a thrill out of alcohol, didn't we? And we, we were pretty fast. We, we missed the cars. He enjoys himself for a few years in spite of friendly warnings. People may say, you know, maybe you drink too much. Maybe you should cut back. Up to this point, you would label him as a foolish chap having queer ideas of fun. Strange ideas. Luck then deserts him, and he's slightly injured. Several times in succession, that happened probably to us, too. You would expect him, if he were normal, to cut it out. If you're running in front of cars and you're getting hit, you probably don't want to do that anymore. It would be insane for him to run in front of a car. Presently, he's hit again, and this time he has a fractured skull. So in other words, he keeps doing the thing that he knows is harmful, and he can't stop from doing it. He has no power to not jaywalk. And with a week, within a week after leaving the hospital, a fast-moving trolley car breaks his arm. So here it is. He's going to do it. He's going to tell himself he's decided to stop jaywalking for good. He's taken the oath. It's harming him. He's not going to do it anymore. But in a few weeks, he breaks both legs. On through the years, his conduct continues, accompanied by his continual promises to be careful or to keep off the streets altogether. Finally, he can no longer work. His wife gets a divorce, and he's held up to ridicule. So he's really lost all of everything. He tries every known means to get the jaywalking idea out of his head. You see, it's in his mind. The disease center's in his mind. And he has to get this idea out of it. So he shuts himself up in asylum, hoping to mend his ways. And, and you know, uh, that's why uh, uh, they would send us to asylums in those days. They had no place for us. And it would help some people, it would keep them from drinking. They could get their health back. And then, but they didn't have the steps in those days, and they didn't have the big book, and they didn't have a fellowship to reach out to them. So he shuts himself up, but the day comes out, he races in front of a fire engine. I remember as a medical student, 
This was like 1974 or five. And we, they had a Spring Grove Sanitarium in Baltimore. They used to have those where they, the large campus and they had all these wards and they had the schizophrenics, they had the Jesuses in one building and they had, um, you know, the psychotics and the soci and then they, these people needed to be committed. They were harmful. Nowadays, uh, uh, we had medicines for that. They didn't have good medicines then. But they eventually got rid of sanitariums. That's why you see a lot of people walking on the streets to have the shopping carts and things like that. They have no place to go. They, they can't function in society. They do have medicine, but for some reason they won't stay on it. But anyway, uh, so um, they had the alcoholic ward. And we went in there. I, there's another student with me. And they, they had a meeting. And uh, it, was, it was really, I had no idea that I was an alcoholic. And uh, the, the, the director, we're walking out, he says, you know, there, there are 25 people in the room. He says a lot of them won't make, and they were telling how horrible it was, and they didn't want to drink again, and this and that was very, really powerful. He says a lot of them won't make it past when they get out of Spring Grove, there's a liquor store right down the street. He says it's so sad. And, and I saw that when I was an intern. I would admit somebody on a Saturday night, 3 in the morning, for pancreatitis, and you know, he drank himself, he's a mess. And then he swore he'd never gonna drink. And then I remember a month later, Saturday night, I'm wheeling him up again. And I couldn't understand it. But that was me, I just didn't know. I was 25 years of age. And you see, people see that in us and they don't understand it. And it says, you may think our illustration too ridiculous, but is it? We have been through the ringer. Has anybody been through the ringer? Have to admit, if we substituted alcoholism for jaywalking, the illustration would fit us exactly. And this is why I think the first step is so important. I'm going to ask John to talk about that. But we don't want to forget how bad it was. We don't want to forget our powerlessness. Because if we do, then we'll stop seeking God. I don't want to forget my brokenness. That's where our meetings are supposed to really remind us of that. And this chapter is written as, as the first step. This is the describing to the reader. They didn't have meetings in those days. What it means to be powerless over alcohol and that you're never going to have power over it. It says, however intelligent we may have been in other respects, I don't know how true that is, where alcohol has been involved, we've been strangely insane. It's strong language, but isn't it true? Some of you are thinking, remember, we're always thinking. They're trying to think of what we're thinking. Yes, but what you tell us is true, but it doesn't fully apply. We admit we have some of these symptoms, but we have not gone the extreme you fellows did, nor are we likely to. And here it is, for we understand ourselves so well, after what you have told us, such things cannot happen again. Now, they're not, the people who say that are not bad people. They have the wrong pharmacy. See, they think they can go to themselves and understand themselves and get the treatment, but they have to go to a different pharmacy because the medicine <coughs> comes from God. We have not lost everything in life through drinking. We certainly do not intend to. Thanks for the information. Now, uh, we're going to end with this paragraph. This is really important. That may be true, what I just read of certain non-alcoholic people who, though drinking foolishly and heavily at the present time, are able to stop or moderate because their brains and bodies have not been damaged as much as ours were. Remember, they describe hard drinkers. 
People have suffered a lot of consequences from alcohol, but they don't have the spiritual malady. And if given sufficient reason, they'll quit. And there are people who can quit because they're not us on their own uh, knowledge. But it says, but the actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly an exception, so that means there's really no exception to this, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. That's squiggly Robbie. Absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. Now, how do we? How are we able to stop drinking on the basis of God knowledge? That's why the next chapter is called "We Agnostics: Those Without Knowledge of God." Those are people who have never had a relationship with God. They may have believed in God and go to church and read the Bible, but they still ran their own lives. And so they never experienced the trust and lived on the basis of God running their lives. This is a point we wish to emphasize or re-emphasize. They want to smash home upon our alcoholic readers. This has been revealed to us a bitter experience. Absolutely unable to stop drinking the basis of self-knowledge. And I would tell people sometimes, I get a little frustrated, it's hard to imagine. I say, you're going to die. I said, you're going to die. And I, I just I just hope you can see the truth. Remember, there are people who cannot or will not do the simple program. Who are they? Those who are constitutionally incapable of seeing the truth about themselves. What we just read, people who can't see the truth, that they are unable to stop on the basis of self-knowledge, unable to basis stop on the basis other than these 12 steps, they, they're, they're not going to do it. But if you can see your brokenness, you can see your complete defeat, then with the desperation of a drowning man, we'll hold out a flimsy reed to you when you come to AA. And then that flimsy reed becomes the hand of God. I think that's what it says on page 28. So we'll end with that, and then we're going to pick up with Fred, which is another great description of alcoholism. Uh, next on the next meeting. Thank you.